Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We unpack the objective truth. This blue-chip discussion is for all of Southeast Pennsylvania and the Delaware Valley. The Point is the place to be for compelling discussion not heard anywhere else. We supremely uncover the details and expose in facts of the initiatives being supported by our lawmakers and our candidates who are running for office. We also discuss the developments and milestones that are now being thoroughly reported by the Pravda Propaganda Network's phony news media outlets. Today I'll be running the show again uh, by myself, and I'm going to unpack this for you all with a punch. Thank you for being with us. I want to talk a little bit about what we're experiencing, what we're seeing right now with this with this coronavirus, and I think it's uh, it's an important thing I want to look at here. I mean, first off, let's look at what, what is an endemic, and then what is hyperendemic, and then epidemic, and then pandemic. I think these are, I, I think going forward, we're going to need better definitions on this. Because it seems like we jumped right into pandemic because of the definition being that the, uh, you know, it's in multiple countries. But we need to look at the percent of the population, I think. And, you know, before we start using the word pandemic or epidemic or whatever, we need to know what percent of the population with infections to the total people constitute each of the levels of infection used by the CDC. I think they need to redefine these and reset these going forward. I mean, because uh, we definitely did bypass endemic and hyperendemic and outbreak and an epidemic, and we jumped right into pandemic. I mean, you know, just for instance, for instance, like, uh, I mean, just for numbers sake, for numbers sake, if we had less than 0.1%, okay, that would be like 10 people, that would be like uh, one person for every thousand people, one person for every thousand people, that would be 0.1%, or anything less than that, one person for every thousand, like one for every 2,000, one for every 10,000, whatever, we could call that an outbreak or an endemic. We could say, uh, we could say like the 0.1 to 1% of the population would be hyper-endemic, we could also take a look at, say, 1.1% uh, of the population to, say, 3% of the population infected with any disease would be an epidemic. And we could simply say, just again, for numbers, just for conversations here, anything over 3% infected in a country would be a pandemic. Okay, I live in a town of about 4,000 people. Now, if if they were four people infected, I, you know, I, I, you know, I would not be, I would not be concerned. I, I just wouldn't be. Okay. I, I wouldn't be running for cover. Okay. If there were 40 people infected in a town of 4,000, I'd be, I'd be somewhat concerned. I, I would be concerned. I think, uh, you know, 40 people in my town, I would think about, you know, if I went out to eat, in town here or whatever. I would also think about what the infection levels were everywhere else. But the bottom line is if we're sitting at 1% or 1.1% of the population of the disease being infected, I'd say that that's, that's, that's worth a concern. That's definitely worth concern. That's definitely worth self-separation or so, if you will, the, the social distancing, if you will, or, you know, whatever, but that, that's, that's, that certainly elevates the, uh, that certainly will elevate the 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 approach to to uh, and the and the in the precautions that would be taken, and anything and that would run up to say three uh, percent. Now anything over three percent, well that would be just downright scary. I mean just downright panicking. Okay, three uh, percent. I mean in in a town of you know four thousand would be uh, well, probably about one hundred and twenty people. There were 120 people in my town that were infected. I'd be very, very nervous. I would not leave my house. Okay. Now, there's a reason that the governor in Pennsylvania seems to be having trouble getting people to stay home. There's a reason. I mean, I, I, I think based on what I just explained and the numbers and how I would do it, there certainly is a reason. 
The governor, for instance, is looking and he's saying, why can't we get people to stay at home? So then he issues these stay at home orders now uh, as of uh, we're, we're doing this recording on the 23rd of March, by the way. So I want to make sure that the numbers we have reflect that. So when you listen to the recording, the numbers we talk about are as of March 23rd. But anyway, I want to discuss that because if, for instance, the governor seems to be struggling to get people staying home, so he decides to do a stay-at-home order. Now, what's interesting is you're seeing people just not they're, – they're just not that concerned about it because the numbers are out there on the screen every day. They put the scorecard out there every day. For instance, right now in Pennsylvania, as of March 23rd, there were 644 confirmed cases. 644 confirmed cases in Pennsylvania as of March 23rd. There were two deaths, I believe, I, I saw that statistic. Uh, the counties they shut down, Philadelphia County, for instance, uh, I believe uh, – I believe Philadelphia County had uh, 128, and then Montgomery County had a 129. So you've got 256 there, 257, and then you've got 43 in Bucks County, and then you have Chester County. So now you're up to 43. So that's you know you're sitting on just short of 300, and then you've got 40 in Chester County, and then you've got another 54. So you've got about 400 cases, just short of 400 cases. And the counties that he shut down. What I think is interesting is that's 400 of the 644. And if you throw Pittsburgh into that mix, you know, just because Allegheny County is a big county, uh, I'm just going to get that number for you while we're talking here. Then look at Pittsburgh on there, it's 48. So when you throw all that in there, then you really don't have much left for the rest of the state. And that's why he didn't shut down the whole state. I think what's interesting is he didn't shut down Allegheny County. He only shut down the southeast portion of the state. I think that's interesting. But anyway, uh, there, there's like 40 counties that don't have an incident. That's why he's struggling to do this. Uh, where I live in Berks County, there's 14 cases. Uh, we had 13 cases on the 22nd. And I believe on the 21st, there were uh, like, I don't know, eight cases or something like that. So basically, we've seen an increase of about Six cases, I think, um, over three days. That's two cases a day in Berks County, which is where I live. Berks County is a county of about 350,000 people. And, of course, with the counties I just reeled off to everybody, you know, you've got, you know, you, you look at the different counties you can see. But, I mean, you've got a lot of the population in Pennsylvania in the counties that he closed down. Philadelphia County's got a, one and a half million people. Montgomery County is just short of a million, so that's two and a half million people. Bucks County is about 700,000. And then you've got uh, Chester County and Delaware County, where you have another probably a million, two, million, three people. So you're, you're looking at just about four million people right here. Four million people, and then you have, I think we said about 400 cases. So as of Monday, and uh, but that's just not a lot of cases of infected people, 400 people. And this is where I'm at on this. This is why I think the governor, quite frankly, quite candidly, I think the governor's just, this is an overreach. I think we're seeing this. I think, uh, I mean, we, we really haven't even, I mean, we're, we're basically at, a, we're at an endemic or maybe an outbreak. And he's closing the entire counties. He's basically issuing stay at home orders for these people. And I think it's just, uh, Look, I, I, I just see that, and again, I'm only making comparisons, and I think it's important that we understand when you're going to issue stay-at-home orders, it needs to be pretty significant. But I think what we're seeing right now is uh, the governor's shutdown is basically he's anticipating a worst-case scenario that, thankfully, we don't see. And that's kind of what it is. I, I just think that these are draconian countermeasures that he's putting into place. And there's a lot of discussion I heard that people can be looking at, like, for instance, taking the, the most vulnerable people and putting them aside, you know, quarantining them, if you will, but basically uh, separating them from the from the community. I mean, right now, by doing these stay-at-home orders, they're basically shutting in a lot of healthy people that keep the economy moving. And I think that's where my main concern on all this is. And I see as we... uh 
as we look at this, I mean, what is the goal? I mean, why is he doing this? Is he just, does he really believe that we're in a pandemic? What's his definition of a pandemic? I mean, my definition of a pandemic is mass infection, mass infection of something where the fatality rate is like 20, 30, 40%, 50%, not 1%. And I, I again, I, I just thought we talk about this a lot. And I mean, I, I just saw a tweet from the president, which I was very happy about. And he just, he just put it out there where he said, uh, I'm going to look at it here. So bear with me while I do this. Uh, he basically said, uh, that he is not going to uh, let the cure be worse than the condition. He says, we cannot let that happen. And, uh, you know, I, I look, I, I'm, I support the president. I think the president is doing a wonderful job. I think the president right now is, is just, I mean, he's like, he, he looks to me like what a leader would look like. I mean, this man has the chutzpah. He has the presence. He has the common sense. He has what it needs, what he needs, what we need as a country. He has the necessary components, the necessary characteristics. He has the bodily makeup, the mental makeup. The, he just has it all together. He's the complete package. He's unlike anything these Democrats ever experienced. I mean, true leaders aren't like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, when you talk about Nancy Pelosi, and I think what's interesting on all of this is, is her, her idea of, of what a relief package should be. And I, I just think, uh, you know, we need to be helping American workers and the Democrats. Well, they want to bail out, you know, public unions. They, the, the Democrats, the bill that Nancy Pelosi put forward, the, the bill that she put forward to to help the American worker, to, to rescue this economy, the bill that she put into it to give relief to the, to, the, to, to the American citizens that are suffering from this because the governors are all treating this like a pandemic. The bill that she put forward, okay, included provisions on election law. Um, it included things like uh, same-day voter registration, collective bargaining powers for unions, increased fuel emission standards for airlines, the expansion of wind and solar tax credits. Somebody help me here because I'm, I'm, I'm getting lost in her weeds, Pelosi's weeds. Either this is what the fifth dimension looks like, folks. When someone lives in the fifth dimension, this is exactly what it looks like, okay? When you say to that person, look, we have a we have a virus that the panic that is at a panic level, a panic level, a pandemic, pandemic level. Okay. The pandemic, the panic is the pandemic. Okay. The pandemic is the panic. We have tremendous panic in our citizens right now. We have companies that are closing up their stores because of, well, because the governor is telling them that we, we don't, you're not essential. Okay. So you have people that are working at these businesses that can't go to work. So you got all this happening. So the, so Trump is out there saying, okay, we've got to give relief to these people. We got to make it real for these people. We got to help them make their mortgage payments, their car payments. We got to help these people because of this virus outbreak, this war that we're having with this invisible enemy, the Corona virus. So he puts forward this. He says, look, we have to give these people, I want to give them all $1,200. And, you know, what he put forward, I mean, what he put forward was like $1,200 for, uh, for each of them, uh, for this month, and I should say for April and May. And that's what he's putting forward or something to that effect. Uh, you know, he's, he's putting this out there. And quite honestly, the Democrats are saying, no, no, we... We want to make sure we've got bargaining powers for unions in, increased and changed. And we want to have the increased fuel emission standards for airlines, who, by the way, no one's flying right now. So to help them get back into shape, to help them get back into business, to help them get back on their feet when we lift these mandatory stay-at-home orders, to help all that happen, the Democrats' idea of helping the airlines is to increase the fuel emission standards for them. Now, this is the disconnect they have with the American public. This is an amazing fact that I want our listeners to understand. This is why 
This is why I changed from being a Democrat in 1984 to now. This is why I'm, I, I just don't vote that way. I see these people as trying to hurt business. We've been saying this on the point for years and years, for the two years that we've been doing the show, years and years, two years, almost two years, that we've been saying on this show that, I mean, we believe, okay, that um, that the Democrats are not trying to help the middle class. They're just not doing that. They're not trying to help business. They're trying to help their pet projects or their special interests or whatever it is. And the evidence-based proof of that is in a is in a, is the bill that that Nancy Pelosi and her Marxist friends have come up with, the bill that they've come up with to help the industries that are suffering from this this pandemic that we're in. The bill they come up with includes increased fuel emission standards. Like that, they're just lining up, waiting for that bill to be passed. The airlines are waiting for that because it's going to help them so much to to reap up and get their bottom line back in order and get the hiring back in to get the people hired again to increase their work, the workers, and you know get people back to work. This is what they're looking to do, and to do that, they have to have increased fuel emission standards. That's what they have to have, folks. I'm being very sarcastic, okay. Obviously, the Democrats are planning a punishment on the airlines to help keep their foot on the throat of the airlines. This is a green deal. This is one of those green deal standards that they're trying to put in. This is what the green deal looks like. So don't miss that. What they're doing is they're inserting into this bill same-day voter registration. That's what they have in California, where they're, where they're voting for, like, I don't know, a week. Or it's just, just they're voting for days and days, but you can never have same day voter registration because you can't validate who people are. Their idea is just sign up, you come up and you vote, you have same day voter registration. That is crazy, okay? I mean, the bottom line is you got to have a time period so that the counties can, re- can confirm you live where you say you live. I mean, there has to be some sort of a check system. Same day voter registration doesn't give you that. And there's other things they want to check. You know, no, no, they're they're looking to do this. So this is the bill Nancy Pelosi's putting out there. And I think what Trump saw, and this is why I think Trump put the tweet out, and I want to make sure our listeners know, he said, we cannot, this is a tweet he put out on March 23rd at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He said, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. At the end of the 15-day period, we will make a decision as to which way we want to go. He knows now what the Democrats are trying to do. See, he played along with it because I think he's watching these people and he's watching their, he's watching how Nancy Pelosi and it was, I think Mitt Romney and I'm not a, not a big fan of Willard Romney. Okay. But Willard Romney made a comment and I believe it had to do with, uh, he, he basically come right out and he said that uh, he thought that the, uh, the Democrats blocking of the rescue package. Okay. Uh, was uh, Nancy Pelosi and others basically uh, sabotaging. I mean, the way Romney puts it, it basically puts us on a path to social destruction, the way Willard Romney put it. So now now Willard Romney is now discussing the idea that their plans are nothing but misery and woe and promised punishments. And so what I've been saying all along here on the point as well, for the year of the nearly two years we've been doing the show, is that the Democrat Party promises punishments. They promise restrictions. They promise suffocating regulations. They promise, as they want to put it in this bill, to increase the fuel emission standards for airlines to make it harder for them to do business. That's their plan. The evidence of that is that's what's in the bill. Why would Nancy Pelosi put that in a rescue bill? See, I think I think our president, our Gideon with a sword, Donald Trump's seen that, and I think he's just so put out by that because he understands now that these people are politicizing this, that these people are truly, I mean, they're, they're just, they're in, they're, they want to continue the downward economic curve is what they're looking to do. And I think it's very important that we expound on that. Day after day, Trump has done what America expects and more. 
Trump has done a marvelous job with the impossible hand he's been dealt. And the panic I see is not on the virus, but it's panic on the economy. And I think Trump sees that, too. Hence his tweet. And he's looking at Nancy Pelosi. And you can see where she's not trying to give any help to anybody. And Trump's like, okay, well, I'm not making Americans suffer. If she's not going to work with the program, then Nancy Pelosi will just be on the sideline watching me lead. She can participate or she can get out of the game, which is what she's doing. Nancy, I think, is taking herself out of the game. We need balanced, sensible social distancing and other precautions. But there's massive economic consequences in trying to save lives on a mass scale. And I, I think that, that there's something, to, you know, there's something to be said of that. Cost and benefit, cost and benefit. What is the cost on shutting down the economy and what's the benefit you get? As we talked about in Pennsylvania, uh, we've had two deaths. I think in the state, in the, in the country, um, I believe it's, I, I, I can't remember what I, I saw on the country end of it, but whatever the case is, uh, you, uh, the bottom line is we don't have, we don't have all, we have like 500, I think, as of, as of the 23rd of, of March. I think there were like 500 fatalities in the country, somewhere in that area. Forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head, but the bottom line is when you're looking at a nation of 330 million and you're asking yourselves, as I've been asking myself over and over, is this an endemic? Is this a hyper endemic or is this a, a pandemic, an epidemic? What is it? And I'm going to call this an endemic for now because I believe it's less than 1%. It's less than it's less than 1.1%, basically, but it's between 0.1 and 1%, I think, right now. But it's even less than that. I mean, it's probably just an outbreak. It's, uh, it's an endemic or maybe an outbreak because it's less than 0.1%. It's just less than that. It's less than 0.1% right now we have, as of March 23rd, infected in this country. And in states. I mean, you see it in states like even New York. I think New York, uh, I think, well, we know in Pennsylvania – we're at an outbreak or an endemic uh, as far as the, the numbers that I just threw out there, okay? The fact that we're less than 0.1% in Pennsylvania means that we're basically an endemic or an outbreak. I think the U.S. were at the same level there. Now, when you go to New York, there's like 20,000 cases, I think, as of the 23rd. I think it was like 20,000 cases with 20 million people, so we're less we're less than 0.1%, but we're more, you know, but, 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 you know, whatever. I mean, but we're still less than 0.1% of the, uh, we're right there. We're right at the, we're right there at the, at the, uh, at the level. So you might see that New York might be categorized as a hyper endemic because they're right at the, but right on the bubble. Okay. So you might call that a hyper endemic at this point. And you got the governor, Democrat governor in that state. He wants to deploy the national guards for a hyper endemic. Again, they're, they're on lockdown for a hyperendemic. And, you know, I mean, as Trump stated, we just need to, we need to make sure the cure is not worse than the condition. I think that's what this is. Trump said that. I mean, they say it over and over on their press conferences every day. They talk about the fact that, that the risk of getting this is low. Well, we know that because we've seen the numbers, folks. We've seen the numbers. Of course, the risk is low. We know what the numbers are. We see them in Pennsylvania. We know what they are. As I stated in Pennsylvania, as of March 23rd, you know, you got 644 cases in Pennsylvania. And uh, I mean, about 400 of those cases are in the counties, the, the five counties they shut down. I believe it was Bucks, Montgomery, Philadelphia, Chester, and Delaware. Five counties represent two-thirds of that amount. So he shut down those five counties and made it issued stay-at-home orders. I mean, I, you know, again, and, and, and as we talked about, as I said before, they're still in an endemic line. They're, they're still at the endemic stage, I think. So he's he's doing stay-at-home orders for endemic and outbreak stages and uh, levels of infection. 
I think these, and again, I, I made up these numbers. I mean, I just threw them together as, as you, as you guys all, as our, our listeners all understand. I just kind of, because we don't have these numbers. So the problem is we don't have these definitions at the CDC. They don't define it as per population, percent of the population infected. They don't have that definition. So they kind of leave it up to subjectiveness and they're going to leave it up to subjective thoughts. And I'm going to throw my own numbers in there because when you look at the definition of the CDC, it doesn't really break that down. Doesn't really do that. So, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, I look at it on that line. I mean, uh, I believe, and again, I'm going to, uh, the principles of, of, of the, the epidemic disease occurrence. And again, I'm looking at this right off the, uh, the CDC website, the level of diseases. It just talks about the, what the levels are. Okay. And it talks about the different, you know, what constitutes according to the CDC, a hyperendemic and an endemic and an outbreak and a cluster and a pandemic and a sporadic whatnot. And it just comes, it basically, if you, you look at the site, it just tells you that, but there are no percentages in there. So, I have to come up with my own percentages and it would make it a whole lot easier for governors like Tom Wolf, who doesn't know what to do because this is his first pandemic. And again, I'm, I'm not a fan of Tom Wolf, but I'm going to give him some credit because this is his first pandemic. I'm sure of it. I'm sure that this is his first pandemic. So I don't want to be too hard on him in that fashion, but I do believe this is a way, this is a, this is a hyper overreaction to a, uh, what he's doing and uh, to to what we're seeing here. And I think that that's important that we understand that. I mean, an endemic, you know, I mean, when you're looking at uh, endemic or an outbreak, I mean, that's less than 0.1%, which is what you have right now. With the 400 cases, with about 4 million people, that's what you're looking at. I mean, that's just really rough, roughly, it's still in that ballpark. It's really low. And so, I, I don't see where they're doing it, but that's what he wants to do. He's been encouraged by some, I think, some pretty bad advice that he's getting. But as I stated, you know, Trump has done a marvelous job on this. You know, what, what has Trump done? Well, he's expanded Medicare, telehealth benefits. That helps the elderly, okay, especially the elderly. He signed the Defense Production Act. He signed a second coronavirus relief bill but i guess nancy didn't like the fact that it didn't it didn't include the uh the airline fuel regulations so she wanted to make sure it got in the next one unbelievable uh he shredded the rule book of red tape by cutting regulations to accelerate the vaccine and treatment development and in spite of all of this the prop the propaganda networks are still looking for nuance to indulge them in their Trump hatred. You ought to see them at the press conferences. When you watch them at the press conferences, very telling. You know, you see them at the press conferences, you, you see that they're all prepared when they go in with the questions that they want to ask. They're not, they're not structuring their questions by what they hear at the press conference. They're, they're asking questions based on their own well, their own uh, their their own thoughts before they get in there. Okay, they're they're already predisposed predisposed on some thoughts, and that's what they put in there. What what they're what they're what what they've been thinking all along. They put that on paper and they go in there with. They're not making notes. They're not tailoring up. They're not tailoring up questions as per the as per how the meeting's going. You know, so we put that all in place. The claim that Trump closed down its pandemic response office, I heard that said, that's constantly thrown out there in the airwaves. Well, the Washington Post became the proverbial blind squirrel finding a nut when they revealed in an article back on March 15 that that was not, that was not true, okay, uh, that Trump did not close down the pandemic response office. That's not true. The Washington Post poll put that out there. Now, I didn't see CNN retract the story. I might have missed it. But none of these news agencies that put that out there that caused the handful of people that watch CNN and MSNBC and, and the other Pravda networks, those handfuls of people that saw that, maybe they believe that Trump closed down pandemic response offices. Well, because you didn't see the retraction, 
they probably still think it. But the fact is, Trump didn't say it. What's interesting is, though, this is what's interesting, because, because Trump looks like he's having his Winston Churchill moment every day. Trump is out there looking like he needs to be on Mount Rushmore every day. He's just out there looking like the leader that he is. And polling shows about 55% of the public approve of the way he's handling this war against COVID-19. Even Gavin Newsom in California is saying the president is on top of the big picture and the little details. Now, I found that very, very, very interesting. State and federal leaders are working together in a way that they've never done before. Now, take Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer out of the picture and you see people working together in a big way. Put them in the picture and you see obstruction all over again. Again, their, their hatred for, for, their hatred for Trump is eclipsing their, their desire to help anybody. And I think that's a very telling point. I want, and this is what Trump sees. And this is why I think the tweets that went out on Monday, I believe I believe that that Trump now recognizes the the attempt to sink this economy. And he is just he gave him enough rope to hang themselves. He's going to go out there. He's going to basically say, we're not going to sink this economy over this. And I'm not I mean, we're not going there. But we'll see what he does in a week or so, because I think in a week it's going to be the 15 day period. And we're going to see what he does. And I don't want to overly speculate because we really don't know what we're going to find in the days ahead here for infection rates and so forth. We're hearing some of these Barack Hussein Obama, former former uh, people in there, people, former administrators that worked for Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden. Well, they're out there now saying that we, we're going to have millions of infected people and everything else. So, I mean, they're, they're out there saying this. So Trump's going to watch the numbers. But I want to, I want to point out that the human, the, the economic human cost of this is staggering. The strategy of social distancing is shutting down. It's just shutting down life right now as we know it. There seems to be a huge gap between sensible and extreme here. Just as the spread of the virus creates a curve in the infected, the shutdown of our economy creates another curve of the affected by losing their home and losing their income and losing whatever, okay? Damaging their credit because they can't make payments and whatnot, okay? Look, we need help for the American worker. We need to save small business. We we need to help people financially. Now, the Democrats in the Senate did some stonewalling, and the Democrats in the House, well, they came right out and they said, well, here's our list. We want provisions on election law. We want that in there. Now, the, the payment for student loans, for student loans, I, I guess that because Trump, that is one component that Trump put something in there for uh, student loan relief. There is something in there, but it's, I'm sure it's not what the Democrats are putting in theirs. But then the Democrats go on the same day voter registration, collective bargaining powers for unions, increased fuel emission standards for airlines and the expansion of wind and solar tax credits. Like this is what everyone's waiting for. This is the Green New Deal. Let's see how much of this we can get into this relief bill. I mean, this is this 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 is truly, and I mean, this is just an act of complete contempt against the middle class. I mean, there's no question about it. Again, we have right now a downward economic turn where they're anticipating 10, 20, 30 percent unemployment if we don't if we don't stop this fast because small businesses are just going to close up. People can't stay open. I mean, Trump wants to give relief to small businesses. So how he's looking to do that is to say they're looking to 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 uh, allow them to, uh, to to make their rent payments and so forth, but not have to pay that money back to the government. And I don't know through payroll credits, uh, you know, payroll tax credits. I don't know how how they're looking to do it, but they're looking to do. He's looking to help small business in a tangible way, tangible way. In other words, the cost they incur to stay in business, they're going to get back <clears throat> in some tangible way. But the downward curve is about sacrificing the heart and soul of our country. The economy is the heartbeat of the patient. And the Democrats want to stop the heart. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Trump and the Republicans want $250 billion in payments to Americans starting on April 6th, followed by another $250 billion in cash payments beginning on May 18th. And the Democrats want 
fuel emission standards for airlines. The Democrats want the expansion of wind and solar tax credits. All right. I mean, here's Trump. Trump's wanting to basically help, you know, help the the lifeblood of our community by helping our middle class. And the the Democrats, uh, well, they want they want provisions for election law. Trump's trying to give everybody a direct deposit of twelve hundred bucks or something for two payments on April sixth, and another one direct deposit on May eighteenth. But the the Democrats want election law provisions or whatnot. Who, I mean, this is where this is where the fifth dimension comes to reality. And people living in the fifth dimension, they can't connect with reality. And this is what they don't understand. This is why people voted for Trump and are going to vote for Trump again, because Trump knows what Americans need right now. And the Democrats, well, they don't. They don't have a clue. And there are those in Harrisburg and Washington, as well as on the Pravda propaganda networks and their phony experts that they bring on every day. That, that, that Who can handle an endless government shutdown. There are people that want an endless government shutdown. They don't have a problem with it. I mean, Fauci said last weekend that he likes it when people say we're overreacting because he says it means we're doing it just right. I'm getting concerned listening to this guy. And from what I heard, I haven't confirmed it, but I heard that he was a donor of Hillary Clinton. I heard he donated money to her or helped her or something to that effect. I haven't confirmed that, but I, I, I was told that. Look, there's people in the CDC. We, we already identified Rod Rosenstein's sister. And she was, we brought her up at a show recently one of our previous shows where she was up there saying that we're in big trouble with this. She was not on the talking points of the CDC. She was on her own talking points. But I mean, it just seems to me that Fauci is okay. He probably can't afford an endless shutdown. He's all right with it. All these elitists are all right with it. But working Americans, they can't afford it, folks. They cannot afford it. The cure is worse than the disease, and Donald Trump is seeing it, and I'm telling you, we're going to see in two weeks there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. This total shutdown will kill people, folks. It will kill people in, in forms of poverty and despair. It will, it will kill the morale of people, families. It's going to kill the joy in the houses, so many houses, because the jobs are no longer there. You know, I, I, just, I just think it's a very important distinction. There's not much Trump can say at this point because he doesn't know where this virus is going to go. But Trump is pushing for for help for families. He's pushing for help for people that have been damaged financially and economically by this virus. He's pushing for help for small businesses, unemployment insurance increases, and student loan deferrals. He wants to do the deferral end of it. He's pushing for all of this. And the Democrats are pushing for collective bargaining powers for unions, increased fuel emission standards for airlines, just to name a few, same-day voter registration. I mean, this is what they're looking. I, I, I mean, this is the part that disconnected Democrats have. Look, we need a hybrid, if you will, of mitigation and suppression. Rather than go for mass economic shutdown, we need to protect the most vulnerable, separate them, if you will. You know, we, we need to protect them. We need to put masks in the hands of Americans, okay? We need to encourage people to take the necessary precautions that they can take. We know what they are. You know, just exercise good hygiene. Wash your clothes every day. Wash your hands every day. Wash them regularly. <laughs> use, hand, use hand sanitizer in between hand washes. And don't touch your face, eyes, or ears. And, of course, if you're not feeling well, stay home. Okay, so, I mean, this is what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about. You know, we need to stop. We just need to stop the total shutdown here and begin the production of the most, the protection, if you will, begin the protection of the most vulnerable people that are, you know, the, the people that stand to, to suffer from this virus. You know, get the ventilators, keep the ban on large gatherings, but don't turn this into a public health crisis into America's worst catastrophe. As I said before, I mean, 
I don't believe it's a pandemic at this point. Of course, my definition might be different. But based on um, when you look at the CDC and what they define as a pandemic, there aren't any numbers in there. So you have to put your own values in there. You have to figure out what's, you know, you know, you have to, you know, cost versus gain. You have to find out what it is that, you know, I, I just think we're in an endemic situation, an outbreak. And that's what we're in. And, and we need to take the precautions we talked about. And I think right now we're we're looking to to go off the deep end, and I think people want to advocate for a total shutdown. And I just think that that's wrong. We need to make informed decisions, and the problem we're having is we're not making informed decisions right now. Governor Wolf is not making informed decisions. He doesn't have enough information. See, Wolf is is looking to shut down these counties. He's doing this how he's doing the shutdown, but he doesn't have the information. Look at. You need more testing to get the information, you know, and you don't they don't have enough of it. All they have right now are the infected. And if if that's all you're looking at and these are the people that go to the doctor's offices, these are the people that go to the healthcare facilities and the hospitals get tested because they're not feeling good. Because as of the 23rd of March, you've got 644 people who are infected, confirmed infected. That means they're not feeling well. But you, you probably got. I don't know, uh, maybe maybe many more than that that are walking around not feeling any any symptoms at all, okay? Not feeling any, any ill will at all. And you can do the math on that. I mean, if that's just 10%, if you will, if that's just 10% of what we see or 15% of what we see, okay, well, then, you know, then maybe you know, you're looking at Maybe a few thousand, maybe a few thousand infected. Maybe that's what you're looking at. You know, I don't know. It just seems that way to me. I just see that they're just making this, this, these decisions without enough information. They don't have enough. All you have are the people that are being tested that go to these medical facilities and you know how many sick, you know how many sick people you have. And of those, we've had two deaths in Pennsylvania, two out of 644. We know. What happened, for instance, on the Diamond Princess? And I'm going to remind our listeners about that. The Diamond Princess was that cruise ship we talked about. And uh, it it was the, uh, there was like 700 infected people on that ship. I believe there was a couple of thousand on there. So I, I, I don't know offhand, but, but just say for grins and giggles, it was 2,100 people on the ship, 2,000 people. And 35% were infected. We had seven people die. So that's 1%. So we had a 1% casualty. So this is also with the passengers, most of them being over 65. So, I mean, again, you had a 1% death rate here of infected versus those that perished, and they were the most vulnerable. So when you look at this, I mean, statistically, when this is projected out across the state or across the country, I've heard experts say that the death rate would more likely be about, you know, 1%, 1 point, you know, 0.125% somewhere in there. You know, uh, like one out of 100, like I said, maybe a little bit more than that. But, of course, that the sample being tested would determine that. And, yes, again, I say this is 10 times worse than influenza. Yes, it is. And it's at least three times worse than the swine flu was. And severity and how it affected people. We know that too. But I mean, what it boils down to, and I think we, we look at this, it's part of the it's part of the information we have. And when you when all you have to look at is infected in the hospital and whatnot, and you know, those I mean, you have a couple hundred in the hospital, others aren't in the hospital, and you're looking to basically treated as a pandemic, I think you're suffering from more fear than you are anything else. There's more fear than anything else. You're you're not grounded in truth. You're not grounded in facts. You're grounded in emotion and grounded in fear. And I this is where I was thinking before, and I was talking to some other people about this, and it comes down to when you look at folks, you look at leaders, you look at the elected officials that we vote for to be governors, to be congressmen, to be senators, to be the president, okay? 
to be state representatives and state senators. When you look at leaders, you want to know that the person that you're voting for not only has the mental fortitude in which to do the job, but has the leadership chutzpah to do the job. People have to know and have the strength and convictions of their of being grounded in truth. And it goes down to what, what we talked about in other shows, that people that that are grounded in truth, godly people that are grounded in truth are more likely than not to make a more calculated decision. And I think, you know, based on, you know, cost versus gain, you know, cost versus risk or whatever. I, I just think there's a, we, we, you're going to see people, you don't vote for people that, in my opinion, that would take something like this <clears throat> coronavirus in Pennsylvania and call it a pandemic when you have 644 people infected in a state of 12 million. Now, if he was to say, well, I'm going to treat this as an outbreak or an endemic, then I'd say, okay, well, that's responsible. And if you're going to say, well, I'm going to encourage that everybody that we avoid large crowds and that we step up the need to get ventilators and whatnot in our hospitals and try to prepare for people to be in the hospital, because if we end up with a few thousand people infected, and we know that the uh, the percentage of people that go into the hospitals is about 10% or 15%, then if you have, like, say, 10,000 people infected, you're going to have about 1,500 people in the hospitals. You have the beds in, to put these people into. And, um, of course, you have to look at the counties and where they're at. But, again, you're looking at the, the overall cost. We just need to communicate the need for exercising good hygiene and tell these people how to stay healthy. Wash your clothes every day. Wash your hands regularly. Use hand, hand sanitizer in between the washes and don't touch your face, ears, eyes, or mouth. And if you're not feeling well, stay home so you're not infecting other people. But this virus mostly gets into our body. It gets into our bodies from our hands. I mean, we know that. That's an airborne virus. We know that, too. But again, I just think that a, a large way we get affected is how we bring it into our body with our hands. And again, you know, we have political gamesmanship being done. And again, these the Democrats, and I just talked to you about how the Democrats are doing this. But you also have others doing it. You have the, the, prob, the propaganda networks doing it. Jake Tapper's doing it. But you got these people basically blaming the, the trimming back of government programs, austerity, if you will. They're blaming that on, for the struggles that Americans are seeing right now. And that's just insane. It's the virus. It's the overreaction by governors. Again, this is not, this is an economic crisis. That's what this is. And it's going to affect the entire global economy as we know it. We cannot shut down the entire economic system. People need to get back to work. Every state has the right to find their own solutions. States that are not as affected as other states must find different solutions. We must think outside the box. We need to protect the most vulnerable and keep our economy moving. We need leadership. We need leadership. We need a possible, maybe possibly quarantine those that will be at high risk of hospitalization if they contract this virus. We've got to reopen the economy. We need leadership, folks. And right now, our lieutenant governor is, is not, and our governor is not providing, they're not providing the leadership. Our lieutenant governor wants to legalize pot. He's more interested in that than he is to find leadership, just to, to ratchet down uh, and, and, to, and to solve this problem. I think uh, he believes, along with possibly Tom Wolf, I think they both believe that uh, a stone Pennsylvania will probably be more productive Pennsylvania. I personally disagree with that. But that's another topic for another day, and that's my, my biggest issue, I think, with, uh, with, this, uh, with, with Fetterman, our, our lieutenant governor. I, I mean, this, this, he just is, is out there in the fifth. I mean, he's a self-professed socialist, just so our listeners know. He's called himself a socialist. It's like Bernie Sanders, Lieutenant Governor. Anyway, Jake Tapper, I want us to, to digest this, but Jake Tapper, he allowed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to lie about Trump, and he didn't call her out. Now, she stated in an interview with Tapper, I believe it was Sunday, <clears throat> last, last week, <clears throat> that Trump called this coronavirus a hoax. 
Well, folks, that's not true. But this is not a situation where Jake Trapper just kind of let that one get past him. No, no. No, Jake knew that she was lying, but he chose not to correct the record or challenge her. Now, how do we know this? How do we know that Tapper knew she was lying and chose not to correct or challenge her? Because Tapper proudly and publicly admitted that he knew she was lying and that he knew that she chose not to correct and he chose not to correct the record for, or challenge her. He knew she was lying. He said it. He professed it. He admitted it. But to make matters worse, okay, to make matters even worse, as if to prove he could use a few weeks bed rest because he's lost his moral compass. I think he lost it in a, in a fire or something, whatever. But Jake Tapper was blaming Trump for his own breathtaking lack of journalistic ethics. Alexander Ocasio-Cortez appeared on Jake Tapper's State of the Union, and she repeated the long debunk lie. That's what she said. That Trump described it as a hoax, and Tapper, after Tapper was criticized online for not challenging or correcting her, so Tra Tapper basically later admitted he chose to allow her to lie to his audience, and then he kind of blamed Trump for his own moral lapse, if you will. Tapper said he said that he thought it was because the president did not call the virus. Because he said he thought about it. He said he thought about it. Because the president, he said, did not call the virus a hoax. That's what that's what Tapper said. But I guess, you know, he, he, he said. Uh, but I agree that the Democrats were miscategorizing, mischaracterizing what he said. But he goes, but then it's tough to justify taking the time for a fact check. And calling out, calling out her for being wrong when it, you know when it's not taking a stand defending the truth. He said the second he basically blamed Trump. He basically blamed Trump as the reason as the reason that he would not correct her. In other words, his Trump hatred got in the way. So what set Tapper off was. On the second incident, there was another incident that, that that really got Tapper upset, and that was when Trump ripped into the NBC Peter Alexander during the president's uh, news briefing about 10 days ago. During the during his uh, monologue, calling the, the, the Peter Alexander's monologue, where he called the president, uh, calling him out, if you will, but, but I guess Tapper basically misled the his audience when, when he said, he said, instead of informing viewers of the full context between Trump and Alexander, he basically said he chose to deceive his viewers but he used to by, by deliberately leaving out the key part of the exchange where Alexander interrupted. So when he described the incident between Alexander and Trump and the press, he basically said he, he's going to leave out the exchange where Alexander interrupted and practically heckled and accused the Trump of, of offering false hope. You know, I I just think it's amazing that he would do that. Because what they did was Peter Alexander's question in the complete context that it was in was basically going off on Trump and Trump called him out and said, You're you know, you're guilty of sensationalism. You're not even a reporter. And he said, You work for Comcast. He called it, you know, NBC's mother company, I guess it's Comcast, but Trump called him Comcast, C O N Cast. Look, I, I just I think I think summing this together here, I think it's important that we just understand we make comparisons and I, I do this all the time. I like to compare different sets of facts with other different sets of facts. I do these comparisons with the coronavirus, not in an attempt to to minimize the the, the the real threat here, the invisible enemy and the effects the virus has on the most vulnerable. I'm not trying to minimize anything. But I want to put things in the correct context. See, right now in this country, I should say in the country last year, there were 106 people a day that died in traffic accidents across the country every day. 
106 people died of traffic accidents. And right now in this country, we're seeing about, you know, between 40 to 80 people a day dying from this COVID-19 virus. So we're seeing half to a little more than half, if you will, every day dying from this virus, but half of what dies every day in traffic accidents. And yet we've somehow labeled this a pandemic. I mean, this is the thing that bothers me. I think we've mislabeled this from the start and, and we let the World Health Organization do it. We let them do it. I think it's very interesting because, you know, when you look at what a, uh, when you look at what a, uh, a pandemic is, it has to do with the, uh, the idea of, uh, it has to do with going between different countries basically has to do with that. And I think that people seem to miss that. I, I, uh, But, you know, when you look at what an, an epidemic refers to an increase in often sudden in number of cases and whatnot, but a pandemic is is a lot worse. And I think when you look at a pandemic and you understand that their definition of pandemic refers to an epidemic that is spread over several countries or continents. That's why they called it a pandemic. But I think, again, you know, the number of cases they've had, because it varies, I mean, South America, as of March 23rd, had less than a thousand cases. Um, I think Africa had only a few hundred cases. The continent of Africa, uh, Southeast Asia, a few hundred cases there. Australia had like 700 cases. So when you're looking, yes, it's spread over, over different countries, but the numbers are so low. But I think, you know, you have to understand, you know, what brought all this out. I think we're going to get to that on our next show that is to, uh, on the Watchmen later today, we're going to talk a little bit about what brought on this virus and, and, and where did it come from? And basically the Chinese live animal markets that are at the center of the deadly coronavirus outbreak. We're going to talk a little bit about that, where all that came about and how it all came together. But, you know, just to sum up the show here, I, I just think it's important that we, we just put things in proper perspective and we understand that, you know, we're watching the governor shut down business over the anticipation of a worst case scenario that thankfully isn't here yet. And we have to ask the questions, at what point will the governor drop these draconian countermeasures? We have to ask him, well, what's your threshold? When, when are you going to drop them? At what point? <clears throat> you know, how can policymakers know if what they're doing is doing more harm than good? <laughs> how can we, how can they know that? We see experts on the news, the Pravda News, like Ian Lipkin from Columbia University for infection and immunity. This guy was on Fox News, and he stated categorically that until we have a vaccine or a drug to prevent the spread of COVID-19, we will need to continue on lockdown. Now, when he said that, I about came out of my of my seat. I couldn't believe it. Now, if I was the newscaster, he was saying that to open up asking the question. At what point do you think this is doing more harm than, than good? At what point? You know, we need to be sep we need to our goal needs to separate the confirmed infected from the non-infected. As that needs to be our goal, okay? But at what point will Pennsylvania Meet the thresholds needed to before these extreme countermeasures are lifted, as I said. What are the thresholds? What are the numbers? Is this the new norm until we get a vaccine? Do we leave everything on lockdown or maybe intermittent lockdowns until a vaccine's developed? That could be a year, year and a half. How can we know when it's safe to unlock the economy? And what is safe to people? What is it? What is what is Governor Wolf and what is Fetterman and what are the Democrats? Or what is their definition of safe? You see? See, we see from the data 
that about 10 or 15% of all cases are hospitalized. And again, that's about three times worse than the, than the swine flu. That's why I want to make sure I'm clear on that as far as the numbers of infected that are hospitalized. You know, but you can know that if you have a small number hospitalized, like if we have like 200 in Pennsylvania that are hospitalized, we can know that the percent, because we can, we know what the, we know from other states where the testing is, 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 uh, being, being done differently. We can know that that's going to be different. You know, that's going to, if the number, the small number in a hospital, you're going to have a small number of infected based on the percentages. We know that. We do need more testing. I mean, tests are important so we can separate the confirmed infected from the non-infected. And just so we can get the data we need to make decisions we need to make. Because our governor's responding to a worst case pandemic before he sees any real facts and data showing the worst case scenarios on its way. He's, he's, he's looking at some models that are scaring him to pieces. I mean, I'm just, it's amazing. But folks, the, the economy is the heartbeat of the country and it, it's shutting down the economy. The answer, you know, you, you look at how you look at the early treatments and I, what's interesting is you look at how they treated patients for different infirmments. You know, a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, whatever. Well, I like to, I like to refer to the one called the magic bullet. The magic bullet was the, was the way that they treated syphilis back uh, about a hundred years ago. They used the magic bullet. What was the magic bullet? It was arsenic. They gave people arsenic. Obviously the patients didn't do very well. Many of them died. So again, I I just think that maybe we're going the, 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 the hard route here and we have to ask ourselves, is the cure worse than the condition? Now, of course, syphilis, you're going to die anyway. So syphilis is a horrible disease. But I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it, you know, you have to ask yourself because you don't know what they're doing. I mean, they, they don't know how they're handling it. They don't know. They don't have the information they need. As they didn't 100 years ago, they didn't know how to treat syphilis. They didn't know what to do with it. I mean, they, they understood what brought it on, but they didn't know. They didn't have the treatment. So they used arsenic. They didn't know what, what else to do. When you have data, you can make better decisions, and that's what I'm that's where I'm going with this. You have information, you can get make better decisions. The data we have in Pennsylvania indicates that the extreme measures being taken are likely way out of line at this time. Now it may come down the road. It may be that we have to shut down. I don't know. But at this time, I don't believe we do. We're at, we're at an endemic phase or an outbreak phase, I think, an endemic phase. And again, you know, we have about 40 counties, maybe 35 to 40 counties in Pennsylvania as of, well, as of now have no confirmed cases of infection. None. I mean, where I live in Berks County, I mean, I've seen it go up six from seven to 13 in four days, three about three days. That's like two a day. Now, perhaps closing the economy will be necessary, but what we can expect, go, what, but what can we expect going forward? I think is important. And I think what we have to do is we, the, we have to look at what we did do in years past. Folks, the world and our country have always responded to virus outbreaks by treating the sick and the infected, letting things play out. Not by creating a daily scorecard and covering with 24-7 sensationalism and panicking everybody, including the governors of states. You know, this question is, again, we can all ask ourselves. I mean, why, why, why do we have a different response now than we used to have in years past? What changed in the world? What makes us think that draconian measures like stopping the patient's heartbeat, maybe shutting down the economy, will do more than more good than harm? What makes us think that? What do we do with the next viral threat that comes down the pike because we are now setting a new president, a new precedent here? What makes us think that way? Folks, we're out of time. I appreciate everybody listening to us. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for being with us. And uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week on The Point.
Thanks for tuning in. A lot of our audience tunes in on listening on live on 1180WFYL.com. By listening live there or going to YouTube and searching 1180WFYL in the search box on YouTube and listening live there. Others listen to us during the normal airtime. However you choose to listen to us, thank you for being here. Thanks for tuning in. We truly appreciate the fact that you've made the point you're guiding light in times of political upheaval and turmoil because we unpack the truth in a way that packs a punch. Thanks to all for being with us. I'm Clay Brees. See you next week on The Point. Goodbye for now.